that was rooted in the character and nature of God and not in what his eyes could see. And so we have to choose to remember God and choose to rejoice, choose to remember that God has shown himself faithful. You can flip over a few pages and look at Psalm 136. I was reading this in my devotional time, and this is the psalmist just lacing this song with, for his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. And he's taking the story of God's deliverance in their history and he's lacing it with, do you know why he did this? Do you know why he brought us out? Do you know why he created everything that he has? Do you know why we've seen his faithfulness again and again and again? Because his steadfast love endures forever. And so I encourage you, if you're in a season of waiting on God or you cannot see God's faithfulness, go to Psalm 136 and read this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. And you can watch and follow this example. Go through your story. What would you write? I did this as I read this. It was about two weeks ago, and it was just such a worshipful time to go back to my childhood and to be writing out, this is what he's done for my soul, for his steadfast love endures forever. He rescued me as a five-year-old. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. He gave me parents that loved and treasured God's word and gave me a home and his blessing because his steadfast love endures forever. He, he called me to ministry and to be a preacher in, when I was in college because his steadfast love endures forever. He allowed me to move here with my family to help start this church because his steadfast love endures forever. And we've seen his faithfulness and you can just keep going time and time again and make a list when you cannot see signs in your presence present of his goodness we choose to remember and praise his name choose to remember that his steadfast love endures forever and cultivate a thankful heart this is what paul says in philippians 4 verse 6 when he says be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication listen to this with thanksgiving make your requests known to god so I want to encourage you that no matter what you're waiting for this morning, you are waiting on this side of the cross. We have the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Regardless of whatever else you're waiting for, God has already met your greatest need in giving you Jesus. And we have the cross as an anchor for our souls so that we can say, no matter what I'm waiting for, I can trust that you are good because you have showcased it at the cross of Christ. We get to wait with Emmanuel. He's with us. He has promised you he will never leave you or forsake you. So no matter what you're waiting on, you get now to wait with him as a forgiven, free child of God, given the presence of God, and we can look back on his past faithfulness and thank him even while we wait for his present deliverance. We can thank him for what we have seen even while we look to him for what we cannot see. Number two, and this one comes from, so first we begin our song, we begin our waiting by remembering the faithfulness of God. But we also must reject self-sufficiency and look to Jesus. Reject self-sufficiency and look to Christ. The beginning of the next song that was penned by Solomon says, unless the Lord builds the house, 
Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now Solomon in this psalm is not writing against toiling. He's not writing against work. We know that diligent labor is honoring to the Lord, that we're to work diligently as unto God and we're to work by the strength that he supplies. But in our unbelief, when we are waiting on God, we tend towards what he's calling anxious toil. It is the kind of working that seeks to fix things on your own. It's, it's the kind of working that seeks to bypass waiting on God, to bypass actually trusting God. So I want to expedite this season that God has marked out for me for my growth, for my intimacy with him so that I will learn to depend on him, so that I will learn to trust him. And instead, I'm going to try to bypass this season by laboring in my own strength. So we have to be reminded, you cannot control your life. You cannot control the circumstances of your life. You can't change the people around you. You can't, for example, you can't solve your finances by self-reliance. This is one that everybody knows and we all run into. So you run into something that you can see is a shortfall or you don't know how it's going to work. And instead of running to the Lord in prayer and independence and waiting on him, we say, well, I'm going to hustle and fix this. I'm actually going to solve this by disobeying God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull back from tithing and from giving and from living generously. And I'm going to, and I'm going to take up extra hours and I'm going to not be a part of my discipleship group anymore and part of my gathering. And I think that I'm going to be able to fix this by dishonoring and disobeying God. And this is just one example of how we are prone to anxious toil. But self-reliance is vain and futile. You just think about what we're actually doing. God is in control over all that he has made and he works his sovereign will. The Lord Jesus in his ministry said that it's the spirit that gives life and the flesh is, listen to this, no help at all. Your own strength, your own scheming, your own laboring, your own anxious toil doesn't help at all and it won't. Now this text says on the surface and they chose to translate it this way that he gives to his beloved sleep and it could mean that but it could also mean that he gives to his beloved even in their sleep and the point is the the same he's calls his people i i'm giving you the gift of rest you're all your striving all your scheming all your anxiety and stress and toil and trying to solve it yourself is vanity i love you I'm, I'm giving you the gift of what, whatever keeps you up at night, give it to him and rest. Be still and know that he is God. Or that language is cease striving and know that he is God and know that he loves you. I, I'm mindful, Jesus, I've been thinking about this all Christmas. Jesus said the Father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. He's a giver of every good and perfect gift. He's not holding back on us. We see that at Christmas. He has given us the greatest gift. 
And Paul writes in Romans 8, if he's given us his own son, then how will he not also freely with him freely give us all things? So whatever you don't have that you're waiting for is by design. God could give you what you are waiting for in a moment. He's generous and he's gracious. He's the one who builds the lives of his people even as he builds his church. And he says, I'm the builder. And every, every way that you're trying to build, and now he invites us into the work, and we'll get to that in a second. But, but we need to know that in the midst of the parts that we play, that our parts are not ultimate. We, we trust the Lord in the midst of the waiting. And Jesus in Matthew 6 calls us to trust him. I, I'll promise to provide everything that you need. And so if you don't have what you think that you need, trust me. Trust me and wait on me. And I was thinking about this antidote from the gospel. So often I feel like we're like the disciples who are arguing over the fact that they have no bread. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the disciples are like, leaven? Dang, that reminds me that we don't have bread. And Jesus says, why are you discussing this among yourselves? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet understand? Why are your hearts hardened? And I feel like that is us so much of the time where we have experienced this supernatural deliverance of God. We have experienced his faithfulness again and again. He has provided for us over and over again. And how quickly we run back to our unbelief and we start scheming, man, I feel like we're running out of bread. Uh, We forget. And Jesus' point here is not just, well, one, he is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, the, the, the miracle bread, the bread from heaven that gives life to the world. So they're griping about the fact that they have no bread while they are in the presence of the bread himself. But his point is, in the midst of all the ministry that we have done, and when you passed out all the loaves and the fish, how many baskets were left over? And the answer was 12 and 7. A basket full for every one of them and seven in his perfect provision. And he says, you don't understand? I'm going to provide for you. It's as if he's just saying, whatever you're praying about, do you not know that I see you? That I know you? Do you not know that I hear your longings that when we go out and we we do this ministry that I know what you need and I will provide for you? But he, so, I'll say it this way. He's able to provide what you're longing for in a moment. So if you don't have bread or fill in the blank, you can trust him. A previous Psalm of Ascent in 125 verse 1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. It's trusting him, trusting him that makes you immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. So one, remember his past faithfulness. Two, reject self-sufficiency and look to Jesus. Three, and this is the central point and the one I want you to grab hold of the most, but it's the hardest. Wait, pray, and weep. Wait, pray, and weep. The psalmist continues, restore our fortunes, O Lord, Like streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This language for restore our fortunes is, God, turn our captivity again. You've, you've done it before. We remember it. We, we've already recounted it, how you did it before. And we were, we were filled with joy and with laughter. And God, we're praying, would you please do it again? This is not some kind of trite song that you'll hear on Christian radio. This is a desperate prayer, a weapon in the hands of God's people. But it belongs in the hands and in the mouths of the desperate. So part of what you may not have received, what you're longing for yet, because God is bringing you to a place of desperation. He's bringing you away from anxious toil and from striving. And he's bringing you to a place where all you have is a cry for a supernatural breakthrough. A breakthrough that you cannot produce on your own. One that actually comes from the bottom of your heart through tears. So you can barely voice it and you're saying, God... Do it again. I can't produce it. What I need is a miracle. And I just wonder if that's you this morning. Whether you're praying for direction for the next season in life, whether you're praying for a spouse, or you're praying for breakthrough in your marriage, or you're praying for breakthrough with your kids, with your job. Maybe you're praying for a healing. Maybe you're praying for provision or you're praying for the conversion of your friends and all the time you're sowing and you're pouring out over people and you're praying for spiritual breakthrough. Maybe you this morning came and you're here because you feel so spiritually dry and you need God to work a reviving again. This Negev that he mentions in verse four is a, is a desert wasteland. It's, it means dry. It was this arid place that during the dry summers it was as arid as you could imagine what you would think of as a de- as a desert and it would have these dry riverbeds that were completely arid during these summer months and the land could be transformed in a moment when rain from the mountains would flow into the desert in the springtime seasons it didn't happen every spring it wasn't predictable. You couldn't set your watch by it. But there would be times when they get such rains in the mountains that you would have these flash floods and in a moment there would be a torrent of a river rushing through where just minutes before there was a dry and weary land with no water. I think um, sometimes you have to see stuff to be able to picture it and believe it. And so I've got a, a video I trimmed down to one minute so that you can see this is in Israel. Does that have volume on it, Maria? Can you turn that up? This is in the Negev.
in a moment. Dry, arid. You imagine living here and one summer you're longing for a breakthrough or one spring you're longing for a breakthrough. You've seen God do it before and you're saying, God, we remember. We remember how in a moment you brought life and you brought restoration to this land. You brought life and vitality to my life. And I remember times past when I saw your faithfulness and I felt your joy and I believed your truth and your word was alive to me. But now I come and it feels like there's nothing here. And I go to you in prayer and it feels like everything's hitting the ceiling. And God, I'm just praying, do this. Just in a moment, you can't produce it. Who of us could go out to that desert and call it up and say, let there be water. But in a moment, rain from heaven comes down from the sky to the mountains and before you know it there's a flash flood this is God teaching us how to lean our grief and our burden and our longing into our praying you hear that lean your grief and your longing and your burden into your praying and so this is my biggest exhortation to you I think of this whole message so often we run from our burden and from our grief. We, we try so hard to solve your season that you don't actually stop to feel the grief and the burden of it and to lean it into prayer. And so we stuff. We put on a mask for people, like the kind that we used to talk about before COVID, like this figurative mask where you, you, you don't want people to see what's actually going on. Maybe you've run from your own feelings. Maybe you grew up in a family where crying was weakness and they told you, don't cry. Now, I, listen, I tell my boys, show me the blood. Don't cry unless you're bleeding, unless you're crying with a burden in prayer to God or they're happy tears because of what Jesus has done. But we've turned a, I gotta be tough. I gotta be independent. I don't want people to see me weak into I don't know how to be weak before God. I don't know how to bring my burdens, my feelings. I've never felt these things before without trying to stuff them or run, for them, run from them or trying to bypass these and fix these. When the Bible says, look, open your heart to God and pour out your heart before him because he's a refuge for you. Do you know how to do that? When's the last time you were alone in prayer and you just allow God to have your heart in everything that you feel with the, all the raw emotion of it and you poured it out before him and you just wept before God with all your weakness and neediness. This is the question from the Psalm. Who is it that reaps with shouts of joy? Who are the ones? Those who sow in tears. These tears were as integral to the process as the sowing of the seed. And the tears so often precede the shouts of joy in the victory. It's the fervent prayers of the righteous that are effective in their working. The fervent praying. So often we have this listless praying and uh, fervent striving. And God wants us to cease striving and bring before him our hearts and pour out our hearts before him. But the problem with this kind of fervent praying and actually doing this is because... Our weakness scares us. We feel like we have to perform before God. But it also feels so helpless. And we hate that. We want to be able to do something. Like, God, give me something to do. 
It's like Naaman, when he was told to go wash in the waters of the Jordan, he's like, look, we've got our own rivers. If I was going to do something this stupid, I could have done it back home. Give me something complicated to do. No, no, no. You just got to go dip seven times. If you want a miracle, you got to seek it God's way. What he's looking for is weakness and for you to pour out your heart before him. It's a story from William Booth, who's the founder of Salvation Army. It says, on one occasion, two Salvation Army officers set out to start a new work, only to meet with failure and opposition. Frustrated and tired, they appealed to William Booth to close the mission. General Booth sent back a telegram with two words on it, try tears. They followed his advice and they witnessed a mighty revival. And I just wonder, maybe you've tried everything in your life in this season of waiting besides actually being weak before God and pleading for a miracle, pleading for a breakthrough, just weeping and praying and obeying the last instructions that he gave you. And that's number four. You pray and wait and you weep, but you keep obeying through tears with eyes fixed on him. This is not a uh, praying for breakthrough, uh, but just completely like I'm just going to go live in the prayer closet and neglect everything that God's told me to do. We keep obeying. We keep being faithful to what he's commanded us to do. So you see this, this psalmist, he looks back on what God has done. He's rejecting self-sufficiency. He knows unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I'm not going to go about anxious toil and solving this myself. I'm going to pray and wait on the Lord and I'm going to weep and I'm going to sow seed. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep doing the things that God has called me to do because I know that in God's divine providence, I know that unless I sow the seed, there will not be a harvest. This is the divine created order that he set up. Farmers can go out and unless they're sowing seed, unless they're plowing and doing the things that it takes for a harvest to grow, they will not see a harvest. And yet they can do all those things and a harvest may not come. So this is not a, a recipe for, for engineering a breakthrough, like, hey, follow this process and watch what happens. You've been doing it all wrong. But this is a recipe, recipe for intimacy with God while you wait, for cultivating the knowledge of God and for learning how to be content in faithfulness while you obey the last thing that you heard, the last thing that he said. You, you get into this book and you obey and, and you come to know him more and realize that he was, he was creating the environment for you to actually have intimacy and a knowledge of God like you never experienced before. That that he worked things out so that you would learn to trust him, so that your prayer life would grow more fervent, so that you would learn to lead all of your burden, all of your grief into your praying. And you would learn how to be content and to, and to wait actively on him while you wait. And so I exhort you, keep sowing. Keep praying, keep abiding in his word, keep receiving word from God and obey him whether you feel like it or not as you seek to trust him. And if you need counsel for what it looks like to obey in the midst of waiting for him for breakthrough in the season that you're in, come talk to me or David after the gathering or reach out to one of your pastors during the week. We would love 
to give you specific counsel. It's one of the things about preaching. I can't, I don't know what you're waiting for. But we can help you learn how to obey while you wait. And then lastly, believe him for the harvest. Believe him for the harvest. He says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Is that, is that not a promise? Like as surely as John 3, 16, it's a promise. Now the problem is that reaping with shouts of joy may not happen how you thought it would look like. And it may not happen when you were praying for it. And so we keep sowing, we keep waiting, we keep weeping, we keep trusting, and we keep on believing that he who promises faithful. And he said, if I keep sowing and I keep weeding, weeping, then I will reap with shouts of joy. And we have to learn to trust him more than what our, trust him more than we trust what our eyes can see. I read this quote this week and it's complete fire. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So just buckle up your seatbelt. It's good. But I'm praying that this would help you cultivate a godly perspective as you wait. And then, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong and that we t- what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault, that is all. God is in the manger, wealth and poverty, light and darkness, succor or this comfort and provision in abandonment. No evil can befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who is secretly revealed as love and rules the world and our lives. Whatever befalls you has come from the ordaining through the hands of a king who rules the world and your life. And we know because of what the salvation that he has wrought for us in Jesus, that he is working together all things for the good of those who love him and are, who are called according to his purpose, including the thing that you're waiting for, including that gap between the promise and the fulfillment. He is working for your conformity to the image of Christ. Our God is good and righteous in all that he does, and he has a purpose for you in the midst of your waiting. And you need to be reminded of this morning that knowing him, knowing Jesus, is better than the thing that you're waiting for. And you can have that now. Paul says, I've counted all things to be lost in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, and you can have that now. All of your longing actually assaulting you down with a greater thirst for what's real and what's true. And you can fill that longing as you wait with the Lord Jesus himself. And our part as we wait is to do the next obedient thing, believing that shouts of joy are coming. It it may not happen the way that you think, but it's coming. Restoration in your specific case may not look like how you hoped, but soon After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you.
Jesus is coming to restore all that's broken. All of your longing, all of your grief, all of your sorrows. He's coming to make all things new, and he's coming soon. Soon. And so the exhortation in the scriptures is not put all your hope on him doing the thing that he's promised in the timing that you thought he was going to do it. That's not where our hope lies as believers. He says, look, fix all of your hope on the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is coming. He's going to make it new. He's going to make it better. He's going to make it right. Shouts of joy in his presence are coming soon. One day soon, soon. We will rejoice and bring back sheaves. I mean, just boatloads of harvest. The, the fruit of our longing and our weeping and our sowing. We will bring back armloads of sheaves with us. But if we long for that day, then our task today is to sow with weeping. If you long for that day, then what he's called us to in this day those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Let's not be a people who are given a conditional promise and who seek to bypass the conditions of the promise and just seek the fulfillment by ourselves, our own way. God has given us a way. You sow in tears, you reap with shouts of joy. Try tears and pray and ask God for the breakthrough. I want to close us uh, with uh, reading the same psalm that David read for us uh, right before the message, Psalm 130. And I'm just going to read a portion of it, but I want you to piece it together with us talking about opening up our hearts to God and really giving him and bringing all of our longing into our praying. And I think it looks like this. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? God, we're like Daniel. We're saying we're not coming to you on behalf of our righteousness. We're coming to you for your great namesake. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, we have desperate need to learn how to wait. You ordain it, Lord. You, your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We would have it so much faster, the deliverance so much sooner. Lord Jesus, we look at your reasoning for waiting to return, saying that you're waiting for more people to come to repentance. And we just cry out with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? 
We are desperate for your return. We are desperate for you to come and restore all things and to bring your kingdom at last to the earth. We groan and we long with creation. And I know that within the sound of my voice with friends that are watching online or people that are here, there is a longing in our hearts because of some specific brokenness, some specific sin struggle, some specific suffering. And we are praying, God, turn our captivity again, restore our fortunes like you have, like streams in the desert. God, we can't produce it. But I'm praying that today, maybe people have never done this before. I'm praying that we would be a people who open our hearts to you and allow our hearts to be a channel of tears, to add our tears to the tears of the saints around the world as we weep and wait and pray. Lord, for our ultimate deliverance and for these specific deliverances along the way. Lord, I pray for these friends called by your name. Lord, give them grace to remember your faithfulness and to thank you for your past faithfulness in the midst of the waiting. May we be a people who reject all dependence on ourselves and renounce our own strength once and for all. And may we be content to open ourselves to you and to wait and weep and pray and trust you. You will bring the breakthrough. And so let us obey with faithfulness while we wait and we look to you. Lord, let us not seek deliverance by our own strength or by another way. God, would you give us the miracle? In Jesus' name, amen.